Talking Animals on WMNF. I'm Duncan Strauss, and my guest today is Dr. Daniel Promoslow, sorry, a biogerontologist and professor at the University of Washington. He's also co-director of the Dog Aging Project, a long-term study of health and longevity in dogs. The design of the project reflects considerable ambition, with Promoslow and his fellow researchers aiming to closely follow the participating dogs, spanning their entire lives, tracking extensive information about the canines. Underscoring the project's notable scope, more than 45,000 dogs are enrolled, and the dog aging team is seeking more. Maybe your pooch can participate. The researchers hope this wealth of info will help break out biological and environmental elements that kept some of the dogs healthy as seniors and reveal details about aging that can make it possible for dogs and humans to live longer, healthier lives. As significant as the dog aging project is, the study appears to be approaching a pivotal moment and that the grant money funding this research may run out in June. So Promise Low and his colleagues have created a nonprofit, the Dog Aging Institute, as a means to generate funds to continue their research. We hope to discuss all this, well, or most of it anyway, when I speak with Dr. Promise Low in just a moment here on Talking Animals on WMNF. Meanwhile, coming up later in today's program, I'll speak with Kate McFall, Florida State Director of the Humane Society of the United States, about Humane Lobby Day happening January 29th in Tallahassee. This represents a significant opportunity to speak with lawmakers about important legislation that will protect animals in Florida or otherwise enhance their welfare. You don't have to be a polished lobbyist to participate. In fact, no lobbying experience is required at all. Today is the last day to register. We'll get the details about Humane Lobby Day when Kate McFall joins us a bit later in the show. Right now, though, let's talk dogs, studying dogs, so that they, and maybe we, might live longer, happier, better lives with Dr. Promislow. With a reminder that I invite you to join the conversation by calling 813-239-9663, emailing dj at wmnf.org, or texting 813-433-0885. Let's welcome Dr. Daniel Promislow to Talking Animals on WMNF. Good morning, Dr. Promislow. Hi, thank you for the invitation. I'm really happy to be so happy you're, you're joining us. Thank you so much. So much like the scope of the Dog Aging Project itself, the conversation I hope to have about the project may be kind of on the sprawling side. Um, still, I think we're all kind of obligated in some ways to start at the beginning. So tell me about the genesis of the Dog Aging Project. Sure. Well, like a lot of uh, really exciting science, it got started by uh, being inspired by someone else's work. So uh paper came out in Science, that's the premier science journal in the country, from Elaine Ostrander's group on the genetics of size in dogs. You couldn't miss it. The cover had a picture of a Great Dane and a Chihuahua walking side by side. <laughs> and what she and a researcher in her lab, Nathan Sutter, discovered is that this huge variation we see in size in dogs is due 
in large part to a single gene called IGF-1. And that came out in 2007. I work on aging, and it really piqued my interest because I also know that IGF-1, that same gene, is associated with aging. And I thought, gee, maybe that explains why large breed dogs are sadly not as long-lived as the toy breeds. And at the time, I was just uh, up the road from you at the University of Georgia. I reached out to my colleague in the vet school, Kate Creevy. That was in 2007. And the rest is history. Wow. Well, it sounds like it came together pretty uh, quickly, uh, jumping off uh, from that that paper in science. Um, So... What, uh, what was it just um, kind of this hunch that you had about the uh, genetic element that you thought, hey, maybe there's something for us who focus more on aging to, to really delve into here? Well, once Dr. Creevy and I met, it was, it was just immediately clear that dogs are the perfect species to study aging in, you know, as as variable as they are, uh, any of your listeners will will know. You go to the dog park and look around, and they're the most variable mammal in the world. You know, compare that Chihuahua and that Great Dane, and not just in size, but in behavior, in shape, and color, in everything we, we can measure, including how they age. There are long-lived breeds and short-lived breeds. The the diseases that they encounter as they age. Um, vary from breed to breed, but those risks increase with age, just like in us. Um, so hugely variable. They age like us. They, of course, have a sophisticated healthcare system with almost all the specialties that human healthcare has, and they live in our environment. So there's also the opportunity not only to uncover the genetics of aging, but also to identify risk factors from the environment. And because they share our environment, those risk factors are likely to risk factors for us as well. So, so they're really the perfect species to, to study aging. And, and most important of all, of course, people love dogs. And that's a huge motivation for the 47,000 people who have joined our project so far. And as you mentioned in the intro, we're still recruiting uh, all dogs of all ages to our project. And so, uh, so again, you mentioned this kind of was spurred by the, the paper uh, 2007 there in science and so that was dog oriented and, and uh, this obviously is dog oriented so was it just a natural that dogs being as kind of a, a you know um, primate you know t- topics really for research in the way that you just described in other words was there ever is there ever been any other animal that, that would be um, anywhere near as conducive for studying uh, aging or studying the kind of things that um, you guys are looking at in the dog aging project or is the very nature of it, the fact that dogs are so uh, similar in so many ways to humans that they really do have those parallels that make it just such a strong um, source for study? Yeah, that's a, a great question. I mean, it's the similarities in the shared environment. Also, the variation is really critical. That All that variability creates an opportunity to discover what's behind that variation. There is a cat aging project in England, um, and I love that people are studying cats as well. Um, cats are harder to study, partly because they live longer than dogs, so it would take that much longer to, to learn about what's going on with the aging process. 
but also they're not as variable. You know, we don't have 200-pound cats in the house. Probably a good thing. Yeah. Um, so dogs are really ideal. And, of course, there are lots of laboratory species that, that people study, like fruit flies and yeast. But there's, some, there's a lot that's really special about dogs. The, this is a natural species. It's not in a lab environment. And, and they're connecting with us you know, what your podcast is all about. And that's such a powerful motivator. Yeah. So I guess something like when you say not lab animals, because, uh, again, some of the other things we have cover on a show like this over the years has been uh, chimps that were commonly used for all kinds of research, sometimes not the greatest. Uh, mm-hmm. And um, because, again, they had also a number of parallels to humans obviously genetically and otherwise so but it seemed like this is this is really just the dogs were just the natural way to proceed and it sounds like probably no one's really done this with other animals other than the cat study that you mentioned yeah and and i I will say we were really inspired by a, a beautiful study run by the morris animal foundation in colorado they're tracking 3,000 golden retrievers around the country and, and have been doing so for about a decade. And that study is focused on, on cancer, which sadly uh, about half of all goldens will get cancer sometime in their life. But it's important to, to emphasize that this is really different than a laboratory study. We're just observing dogs in their homes with the other animals in the homes and the owners to watch what happens as they age. Yeah. It's very different from a, a laboratory study. So, yeah, so well, you mentioned that it's forty up to 47,000 now. Um, my attitude, of course, about dogs is the more the merrier, and it sounds like that's really the attitude of the Dog Aging Project. Um, so, but here's, here's a question that may reveal my status as a non-scientist. What does 47,000 let's say dogs tell you about aging or will it tell you about aging or longevity that 38,000 or 40,000 dogs doesn't tell you? Yeah, that, that's a really good question. So every dog ages a little bit differently. There are some things that are very common, uh, like skin disorders, super common in dogs. There are other things that are quite rare, um, but for those dogs that experience them, diseases, um, can be really devastating. And so the more dogs we have, the more power we have to study even those relatively rare diseases that are important when they happen, and also to discover the underlying causes. For example, there are genes that might increase the risk of a particular disease, but only by a little bit. And because it's only a little bit, to be able to capture that signal amongst the noise of all the variation, the more dogs, the better. So it sounds like that with the numbers that being that large, what you're seeing or what you're seeking really to, to see is a degree in result, a shading of certain findings or certain conditions that tells you something more than if you did have five or 10 or, or 15,000 less dogs. Um, would reveal. That, that's right. And if you think about aging in people, we all experience it uh, in ourselves or for those of us who are 
uh, like myself, I'm ex- certainly experiencing aging at the age of 59 for younger people, observing it in our older friends and relatives. Um, and, and what you see is that everybody ages a little differently. It's incredibly complex. That's one of the reasons that I've studied aging my entire career. I love that complexity. It's such an interesting challenge. But that means that we need a lot of individuals to better understand that complexity. The, the other thing I would stress is that people love dogs, but they also love being a part of a community. And the Dog Aging Project has created this community. And so we're excited to continue to recruit people to that to our study to become part of the community of people who love dogs and who are interested in understanding how to ensure that their own dogs and all dogs are aging in the healthiest way possible. And I have uh, perhaps the most important question so far. Who is the dog we just heard in the background? Um, So my dog is sitting right next to me, and that's Pete. Um, Pete is a COVID rescue. Um, So we got him three years ago. He's a, a mix of a curly coat retriever and a beagle. Oh, wow. Sounds great. All right. Well, we hope that we're, we're quite happy to hear from Pete throughout the show. So if he's got any comments, uh, observations to make, we, we, we certainly welcome those on a show called Talking Animals. Um, and also, just as a side note, when I did a, a little bit of a social media to, um, you know, let people know that we'd be having this conversation today, uh, one of the people who's actually involved here at the station has a dog. Um, I think it's, I think he said it was number 41,996. That's actually in the dog aging project, so um, we have more more of a direct connection than I would have thought. So, uh, I'm delighted to hear that. Yeah. So uh, I want to get into some more details about the project um, mechanics and stuff, but uh, but this just makes me wonder, like for people that are hearing about this and hearing the great number and how you're still seeking more, how do how do how would someone get involved? Is it by geography or what? What is the criteria to enroll uh, a dog in the study? All you need to the only criteria is that you have a dog in the U.S. So right now we're limited to the U.S. We hope to expand internationally, and we welcome puppies all the way up to the oldest old dogs, large, small, all mixed breed, purebred. All you need to do is go to our website, which is dogagingproject.org, it's all one word, dogagingproject.org, and there you can nominate your dog, and you fill out a survey telling us the story of your dog's life, its health, its environment, its behavior, and once you complete that survey, it takes an hour or two, you are a member of the Dog Aging Project pack. Okay, so so it sounds more automatic because when you said nominate, I thought it sounds like maybe there's a process by which certain dogs, for one reason or other, might not be, um, you know, invited in. No, everybody's welcome. Once you sign up, we'll send you a link, and it, you create a, a password-protected link so that all your own personal information is always kept private forever. You won't release that. We do share all of our data with the scientific community around the world so that all scientists can analyze that data and learn the lessons that our dogs have to teach us. And then once uh, once a, a new person has their dog 
uh, enrolled. What are the ongoing um, obligations as 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 part of uh, being a participant in the uh, in the dog aging project? So it's all voluntary, of course, and no one uh, has to do anything. We we hope that people will fill out the update survey. We call it our annual follow up survey every year to tell us how your dog is progressing. And then we also, in the interim, will send you other surveys to share other information about your dog. We might send you videos to teach you how to play games with your dog that will allow you to test things like like its memory. And then you can tell us how your dog is doing in terms of its memory or its body condition. So various uh, different things that we provide to enable participants to tell us more about their dogs. And then, importantly, what we learn, we share with the participants. And I will say that some of the participants will also be sent some kits, for example, to do cheek swabs so that we can do genome sequencing for the dogs. We don't do that for all dogs simply because we don't have enough funding for everybody, but so far we've done it for about 7,000 of our dogs. Wow. That's great. So it sounds like it's pretty, uh, you know, there's some ongoing requests, but even those are not required once they're in. It's just you're, just ways that you're seeking additional information about at least some of the dogs because they're sometimes not practical to seek that, that, that scope of information about all the dogs that are enrolled. That's right. And, of course, the more information, the better. And, and someday we certainly hope to have enough funding so that we can get the gene sequences, for example, from every dog. And like we were discussing earlier, the more genomes that we have sequenced, and this is just like the, the genome sequencing that people do for, through companies that do human genome sequencing to teach us about behavior and health. The more dogs we can sequence, the more we can learn. Yeah. Well, other folks know this is Talking Animals on WMNF. I'm Duncan Strauss. If you just tuned in, my guest is Dr. Daniel Promislow, professor at the University of Washington and co-director of the Dog Aging Project, a long-term study of health and longevity in dogs. The project reflects distinctive scope, including that there are more than 47,000 dogs now enrolled. If you have a question for Dr. Promislow or would like to offer a comment, please call 813-239-9663. Email dj at wmnf.org. Text 813-433-0885. So, Dr. Promislow, uh, if I'm not mistaken, actually, I'm not exactly sure. Was it 2018 or 2019 when the uh, when the project was launched? So, our, our funding from NIH came in in 2018, and uh, it took us a couple of years to build the infrastructure to do all of this. Um, we estimated it would take a few months, and we were off by about a factor of 10, partly because what we've done is built this very large, complex infrastructure, and also we hadn't accounted for a global pandemic showing up. That created a challenge. Yeah. Um, we enrolled our first dogs in 2020. I see. So here we okay. are just, just about three years later, and we're at almost 50,000. Pretty awesome. Yeah. And so... Um once, once you got all that set up and uh, enrolled the first dog, but even before that, what were what were some of the results that you expected the study to produce? So our hope was that we would 
Uh, first of all, just understand what normal aging looks like in a dog. If you think about human medicine, we have all these specialties, right? We've got cardiology and oncology and orthopedics and pediatrics. And, of course, we have geriatrics. So geriatricians specialize in understanding what normal aging looks like in humans and how to help people age as gracefully as possible. In veterinary medicine, we don't have geriatrics. And so our first goal is really to understand what does normal aging look like in a dog so that, for example, when a particular breed, especially an uncommon breed, comes into the veterinary clinic, the veterinarian has a sense of how that dog is doing. The second thing, then, is to understand what are the biological factors and the environmental factors that influence that path that each dog is on that influences how well they are doing as they age. And ultimately, once we identify those factors, can we somehow help every dog follow the best possible path as it's aging? So those are really the, the three broad goals of the project. Yeah. And um, so with the things that you send out to the, the, the folks that you mentioned before that whose dogs are enrolled, are there regular sort of intervals um, for information uh, developments, uh, initial um, findings to be revealed by the Dog Aging Project? Sure. So the, the information that we collect from the participants includes a yearly survey that allows us to follow what's happening as dogs age. But even from that first survey, because it included people whose dogs are very young all the way up to people whose dogs are extremely old, we were, we were able to immediately begin analyzing those data and ask what's the difference between young dogs and old dogs. And, and even just since we got funding, we've published over 40 papers telling us some really interesting things about uh, relationships between different measures. For example, we've seen that um, dogs that are more physically active have better cognitive function as they age. Um, and that's interesting, especially uh, it also tells us about the benefits of exercise in people. We've uh, found differences in health depending on how often a dog is given food every day. Um, we've found differences between dogs that are more or less genetically inbred. So that the results are just coming in fast and furious, and we're really excited now. We're starting to analyze a lot of the molecular data that we've collected. And uh, in, the, in the coming months, we'll be submitting papers to journals describing uh, some of the relationships that we find there where these molecules that we measure might be biomarkers of healthy aging, might help us predict whether dogs in the future are going to be healthy agers or not if they're going to encounter problems. Of course, the sooner we can know that problems are coming up, the sooner we can intervene to help a particular dog avoid those problems. Yeah. So, Dr. Promiso, uh, I think because today we're using uh, not the normal phone line that we typically use for these interviews we're hearing a bunch of static and it's been bothering yeah. me and probably been bothering you and i've heard from some listeners that it's bothering so if, if it's okay i'm just going to ask you to just hold on one sec i'm going to uh put you on uh 
going to end this call. I'm going to call you right back on a, what I hope is a better line, just because I feel bad that this could be compromised by a static that I didn't expect. So if that's sure okay, thing. I'll call you back in just two seconds. Okay. okay, I'll hang up. All right, thank you. All right, we'll be right back with Dr. Promise Lowe on Talking Animals on WMNF. Dr. Promislow? I'm here. Okay, good. I, th- I think we have a much better line. I'm so sorry about that, but I think this is uh, going to be much better for the duration of our conversation. So um, so uh, one of the things I was going to ask and after you kind of you know cited some of those things was I know there's a dog uh, that's a, with a predecessor to, to Pete named, named Frisbee, and I was wondering to what extent... Um, that dog was kind of an influential figure in some of the thinking that maybe shaped how you approached the initial thoughts or, or premises or whatever for the, uh, the dog aging project. Frisbee was uh, the best dog ever. I, I know that there are a lot of best dogs out there. Um, Frisbee was definitely one of them. Um, and she was a great inspiration. She was, what I would call a very healthy ager. Um, as I mentioned up front, uh, large breed dogs don't live as, as long as smaller dogs. Frisbee was uh, about 40 pounds, which is uh, not huge for a dog, but pretty big. And uh, she lived to 16 and a half, which is really old for a dog wow. that size. Yeah. Um, we, we used to run together from her earliest days, and I think that probably helped her. Um, and she had a great attitude, uh, which I think is something that, uh, you know, we can learn from dogs that we know that having a positive attitude is associated with healthy aging in people. And then as she got older, she started running into trouble, um, with some, some challenge, some health challenges in particular, she really struggled with with osteoarthritis, uh, which is really common in dogs. And um, it's one of the the most common things that happens as dogs age. And it really helped me to have a firsthand appreciation of how she struggled as her joints got stiffer and more painful, um, how she really struggled and, and the things that we could do to help her continue to lead as active a life as possible, um, but allowing her to sort of set the pace. Uh, so she really was an inspiration from right from the start for how I think about aging in dogs. Yeah. 
And I'd be curious, to what extent um, are your fellow researchers, uh, are they all sort of dog people that is living with one or more dogs? Oh, we have lots of cat people on our team as well. We, we welcome everybody. Um, I will say that, that we have an incredible team. Almost 100 people work on this project, and the, their dedication and passion for this project is what makes it all possible in addition to the, the dedication and passion of our participants. Yeah, when you say 100 people, I, I was I was going to ask about that because when I was looking around on the website and just trying to prepare a little bit for our conversation, you know, when I started clicking on the team, I thought, okay, uh, quite a few names and photos have, have loaded in. And then I kept clicking and more and more. And I thought, wow, this is a gigantic number of folks that are involved. So... I, didn't, I guess I didn't hit 100, but it doesn't surprise me. So I guess that's just what's required given the the uh, number of dogs and the number of information that are coming in about those dogs at any given point. It, exactly. I mean, partly due to the just the, the, the challenge that we set ourselves of creating a pipeline to collect so much data from tens of thousands of people all around the country and to make sure that we have not only the data pipeline to collect that data and provide it then back to the scientific community, but also the communication pipeline so that our participants feel like they are a part of our team, that they can reach out to us anytime, and we will reach right back to them and help them with whatever needs they have. And so that's one thing. The other is that aging is something that connects everything. And that's true, not just within science, but we can think about aging and history or art or anything. But within science, aging connects everything. So we have so many different kinds of scientific questions we're asking from the environment to the basic geriatrics of aging in dogs, to the molecular biology, to the genetics. And so we have a big logistical team to support the the data and the communications, and then we have a big scientific team to help us ask all the questions we want to ask. And then on top of that, we welcome other scientists from outside our project because there is more than we could work on in a whole lifetime of the researchers on the team. So yeah. that big team is really due to the the opportunities that we've created with the logistics and the scientific opportunities of a study like this, of this size. All right, I'm going to come back to that in a sec, but I want to... Uh... There's, uh, we have a caller here to get involved in the conversation as well. Hi, you're on Talking Animals with Dr. Daniel Promislaw. Hello? Hello, go ahead. It's you, please. Yeah, I was just curious. I, I came in the middle of what you were speaking with the doctor there. Uh, are you accept, is he accepting new, new dogs for the study, and how would we go about enrolling yeah, we did we did cover that. The, the short answer is yes, they are continuing to accept new dogs to be enrolled, and you can find out all about that and, and pursue that by going to dogagingproject.org. That's the website. Okay. And you just uh, fill out the information and they take it from there. Thanks. Sorry about repeating. Thanks. Oh, no problem. Thanks for your call. All right, so Dr. Promislow, um so at the risk yeah, of hitting we, kind we of a... Are always, I'll just say we are always happy to take new participants. And I guess, I guess it would just be 
endless, right? There would never be like, well, now we're starting to get to be too many here. We're we're 47, but if we get 53 or, I mean, is there any number where you start to think, or is it all for the reason we talked about more with some of the shading and nuances that might happen from dog to dog, all, all to the, to the good to have, you know, more just keep enrolling. There, the more, the better. And now that we have our logistical pipeline up and running so smoothly, we are set up to take tens of thousands more. We would love that. The more we can, enroll the more we can learn there's yeah. really no limit and and my hope is that this like like some of the human studies that have been running for decades like the Framingham Heart study started 75 years ago and is enrolling the third and fourth generation we can also enroll the next generation of dogs there's always more to learn yeah so one thing about sort of the the the, the basic premise of like dogs living longer and seeing how they can live longer and better and so how that might run a parallel to people. Um, you probably saw this or heard about this in, uh, given given the, the work that you do, but at the Emmys about a week ago, the creator of the show Beef, which won multiple Emmys, at the end of his last acceptance speech said, lastly, everything I do is for my three dogs. The Federal Drug Administration, if you please fast track that canine anti-aging pill, that would be so lovely. So... I don't know how glib he was being about the uh, the pill, but I, I just felt like it's just yet another example of how universally dog people feel like, you know, I would just like to have more time. Sure, yeah. And and in fact, that's something that, that we are working on. Um, I, I saw that clip, and, and he was referring to, I think he was referring to uh, a company that recently put out a press release uh, the company is called Loyal, and it's run by our friend and colleague, Celine Haliwa. Um, they're testing the ability of a drug to increase healthy lifespan in dogs. Um, on our team, about 1% of our dogs are enrolled in a clinical trial testing the ability of a, a different drug to increase uh, lifespan and heart function and cognition in dogs. So that's something that, that many people are interested in. I yeah. will say that our first priority, of course, is safety. We have a, a team of ethicists. We have a, an animal welfare advisory board and a, a data safety monitoring board through the NIH. So safety first, but, but we're certainly interested in asking whether there are ways to help dogs uh, live a healthier lifespan through uh, drug interventions. Yeah. Well, that's great that there's things, uh, clinical trials in the works, and and um, you know it sounds like it's, it will be important important steps in the directions of um, finding out how those things work. And just again, uh, dog people, like I say, always are looking for a little little more time as long as the dog is, you know, healthy and not uh, having any struggles. Uh, at that's the right. One one thing I would add is is we do these sorts of clinical trials, and of course there are countless clinical trials um, for disease in humans as well, we do these studies to determine if a drug might work. Many people have reached out and asked how they can get the drug. We don't yet know if the drug will increase healthy longevity in dogs. That's why we do the studies, yeah. but we certainly hope to know in a few years what the answer is. Right. Okay, so everybody's just got to kind of hang tight, be patient, see, uh, see what the trials uh, show. 
Yeah, there there are certainly things that people can do um, to ensure that their dogs um, live the best, healthy, long life possible. Um, like, for example, making sure they have a healthy weight and uh, making sure they exercise, um, uh, good dental care, um, the sorts of things that any veterinarian will will advise uh, sure. a client with a, a dog patient. So for sure, certainly things you can already do. Yeah, absolutely. So. Um kind of at the risk of hitting a bit of a sore subject. So you get this thing up and running and it's officially sounds like rolling in 2020 with some prelude and the funding in 2018, et cetera. And then if I understand this correctly, it sounds like the funding that, that you had had and have had uh, so far may be running out in the next few months. Can you kind of address that and why that may, may indeed be the case? Sure. So the, the way that the National Institutes of Health work, and I'll be brief about this for, for listeners who aren't familiar with this, scientists write grants to the National Institutes of Health, or NIH, and if they're funded, they're typically for five years, and then they will write uh, renewal when they're getting close to the end of those five years and, and try and renew for another five years. So that's a, a challenge for a study like this, a long-term longitudinal study, happily Dogs live for a lot longer than five years usually, but that means that to really follow aging in dogs, we need longer-term funding. So we got our first five years of funding, and then we put in our renewal last year, and unfortunately it didn't get funded. That means not that it's the end of the funding forever, but it does mean that we need to go back and put in another proposal, which we're going to do in May, but we're facing... Uh, about a year of no funding from NIH, and that's absolutely critical to everything that we do. The, the great majority of our funding comes from NIH. And so, um, you know, I will say it's what we've created is more complex than most studies that anyone has ever created, and to do it successfully in the midst of a pandemic was a massive challenge, and we did it thanks to our amazing team. But it also means that, um, you know, we, we are uh, not as far along as we might have been if there hadn't been a pandemic, although we've been incredibly productive uh, just since we got funded. We've published 40 papers, which is outstanding amount of productivity. And so we're, but we're facing this real challenge. And, and that's where the Dog Aging Institute comes in, that we've set up a, a nonprofit institute to help us raise funds to get past to this hump, to, to bridge this period uh, till the, the next funding from NIH comes in, and, and also to accomplish a whole lot more. Like what, what would be some of those other things? It sounds like the primary purpose, if I follow you, is to supplement or offset the uh, funding that may be running out soon and, and develop other means of, of funding to continue the work on the... Uh, the dog aging project, but what are some of the other elements of it that, that also uh, it uh, aims to do? Yeah, so we we created the Dog Aging Institute uh, officially just uh, last year, and we have a website, dogaginginstitute.org, where people are already donating funds to support us. Um, but we've been talking about this for years. As I mentioned earlier, aging connects so many things, and so our our current 
primary goal, of course, is to raise some funds so we can keep the dog aging project going. But if we're successful, that will allow us to also support other researchers doing similar work on aging in companion animals, dogs, and maybe other species as well. And, and, and then even more broadly, to use the Institute as a way to support work to think even more broadly about how we can understand the causes and consequences of aging and, and maybe support some of the work that NIH doesn't traditionally support. But our primary goal right now is to make sure that this massive uh, effort that we've accomplished to, to build the Dog Aging Project um, keeps on going so that we can realize the full potential of the project, which, of course, is huge. Right. And so is it the, the very gigantic scope of it that that sort of almost thwarted efforts for further funding just because, I mean, it sounds like the pandemic was pivotal in that regard, but like for you to uh, generate kind of the results that, that maybe would have otherwise continued the funding was just problematic just because of the, the sheer scope of the, of the project was such that it, it's just hard to show results, you know, that early on in the process, even if there isn't a pandemic. Yeah, I, I think that's certainly part of it. It takes time, especially in a long-term longitudinal study that is tracking individuals over time as they age. It takes time to get the big results. Happily, we've already started getting lots of results, as I mentioned. Um, but it's one of these things where it will take more time to 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 get sort of the big findings that can be discovered. When we track individuals over time, then we can figure out what's, what are the actual factors that are causing a dog to be a healthy ager or an unhealthy ager. Answering that question takes time. And, of course, that we accomplished as much as we did in the midst of a pandemic tells me that now... Uh, there's just no limits to how much we can accomplish, but we do first need to get across this this bridge of this this funding challenge, and and that's going to take a, a few million dollars. We and and so we're looking at uh, grassroots fundraising people who have come forward and given us what they can afford five dollars or a hundred dollars, but also speaking with individuals who might be able to make. Uh, more considerable donations to really uh, become our our financial partners and help us to the next exciting stage of the project. Yeah. Well, we're sort of nearing the end of our time, Dr. Promislow, but um, amongst those early results, it sounds like, you know, you've published 40-some-odd papers, uh, which sounds like pretty uh, pretty productive and pretty prolific given that it's early on in the going, and again, you had the barrier of the pandemic. Amongst those papers or amongst those findings that those papers dealt with, were there one or two things that that surprised you and the other researchers, you know, based on kind of what you had been expecting going into this? Yeah, for sure. So I'll just mention a couple of things. Um, one has to do with size in dogs. So we've talked a couple of times about how larger breed dogs don't live as long as the smaller dogs. So a, a Chihuahua or a toy poodle could easily make it to 13 or 14 or 15. A Great Dane, that would be extremely rare. And we expected that most 
diseases would be, and, and most problems of aging would be more common with age in the larger breed dogs. There's a really interesting exception. There's something called canine cognitive dysfunction. It looks a little bit like Alzheimer's disease in dogs, and we actually have a separate study on that. There's no difference in the risk of canine cognitive dysfunction in older dogs, whether they're a giant breed dog or a toy breed. It's the same. And mm. that was one really striking finding. Because the expectation. One other finding, sorry. No, I was going to say, because the expectation would be much like the way they otherwise big versus small age differently and other functions differently. You would have thought that would be on a parallel path. Uh, that that's right. Yeah. yeah. So it it tends to hit around eleven or twelve, and and one of the reasons might be that most large breed dogs just don't live long enough for it to appear. But even among those that are alive at really old age, there's no difference in risk with the very small dogs. Then the other thing that we found that's pretty interesting is that dogs that live in homes with other dogs tend to show better health. Mm. Wow. So just like people, social interactions in dogs looks to be a good thing for your, to be a healthy ager. So people that are one dog households might want to reconsider being at least a two dog household, if not beyond. Well, it, it, of course, depending on, on your situation and your needs, I'm not telling people yeah. to go out and get another dog. <laughs> yeah, no, no. But, but, but it sounds like just fundamentally, it sounds like, if if you if you were uh, able to to accommodate another dog in your family or your household or whatever, that the dog uh, dog number one and the subsequently dog number two would be all the better for it, perhaps. Could be, and and certainly at those times when we've had two dogs in our house, um, m my sense is that the younger dog has helped encourage the older dog to remain more active and playful, and that's got to be a good thing, right? Yeah. Interesting. That's great. All right. Well, Dr. Promislow, we're sort of reaching the end of our time, but we're going to see you with Dr. Daniel Promislow. It's the Dog Aging Project. The website for that is dogagingproject.org and the Dog Aging Institute, where they uh, can accept donations of various kinds, various sizes uh, to keep their funding going is dogaginginstitute.org. So, Dr. Promislow, thank you again. Sorry for the little temporary glitch there with the uh, with the static, but I'm glad we fixed that up, and it was really fascinating speaking with you, and uh, we'll, we'll track your project and come back and kind of maybe do an update somewhere down the road. Thanks so much for your interest. It's really been a pleasure, and, and let me just say also, if any of your listeners have questions, you can go to the dogagingproject.org website, and uh, there's a link there where you can send us questions, and we will be happy to answer them. That's great. All right, well, thank you again. Thanks a lot for your interest. Good talking to you. Bye-bye. In a moment, I'll talk with Kate McFall, Florida State Director at the Humane Society of the United States. She'll give us the lowdown on Humane Lobby Day, slated for January 29th in Tallahassee. Opportunity to speak with lawmakers about new animal welfare legislation that you'd like to propose. And... Uh, hear all about that in just one moment. Right now, though, I'm going to step into the Comedy Corner with Brian Simpson delivering a portion of a piece I'm calling Missing Pets in today's Comedy Corner on Talking Animals on WMNF.
I don't, uh, I don't help people when their pets go missing. <laughs> no. When I see one of those signs and it's like, lost dog, I'm like, all right, that's one side of the story. <laughs> yeah. You're using the word lost, but what if I ask the dog, maybe he escaped? <laughs> you know? Those people want you to think their dog's biggest problem is it can't find them. But I saw this documentary, it turns out the average canine can recognize a familiar scent for up to 13 miles, <laughs> for up to 48 hours. <laughs> so maybe your dog know exactly where you are. <laughs> you know? yeah. You just can't handle the fact that he chose the streets. That was Brian uh, Simpson in today's comedy corner. The brief piece called Missing Pets, part of a longer bit taken from David Spade's short little comedy, Ken Central Show Lights Out. Now it's time to speak with Kate McFall, Florida State Director at the Humane Society of the United States about the Humane Lobby Day. Let's welcome Kate McFall back to Talking Animals. Good morning, Kate. Good morning, Kate. Sorry. Good morning. Hey, thanks for joining us again on Talking Animals. Thanks so much for having me. I love your show. Oh, that's so nice. Thanks. So let's review briefly. What is your role as Florida State Director of the Humane Society of the United States? So I work on animal protection issues throughout the state of Florida for the uh, Humane Society of the United States, and that means wildlife protection and companion animals, working with our, our wonderful shelters here in Florida, a whole host of things. Uh, and, and lots of great advocates throughout the state, of course. Okay, cool. So now on to Humane Lobby Day. What is it and how does it work? 
Well, and, and one of the most important things that I, that I work on is uh, legislation here in Tallahassee, and that's what Humane Lobby Day is all about. It's an opportunity for advocates all over the state to come uh, to Tallahassee and be a voice for, for animals in, in front of and speaking with lawmakers and their staff on different a variety of, you know, this year there's a, a black bear bill and there's lots of, there's a few sheltering bills and, and a puppy mill bill. There's a whole host of, a whole range of, of different topics all about animal protection. So it's a way for us to be a united front, be a large group, to say to our lawmakers, animal welfare, animal protection really matters. And these are some key issues happening right now in Florida. But to be that positive presence and establish those relationships with uh, with lawmakers, which is so important. We know that the um, industry and our opposition is speaking with our decision makers, our legislators. They also need to hear from us politely, of course, but they need to hear from people who want to speak up and be a voice for animals because we know most people do care about protecting animals. And this is a way to let our decision makers, our state lawmakers, know. Yeah. So this sounds cool. So let's say somebody's hearing about this for the first time just now saying, yeah, I'd like to I'd like to get in on that. What do I do first? Sure. Um, they can. Uh, we've got a link to register on um, the HSUS Florida Facebook page. And it's, um, we charge a less than $10 fee. That's just to cut down on no-shows because we work very hard to make appointments for uh, attendance, um, for participants to meet with somebody from their legislator's office or, the, or that lawmaker in the afternoon. So um, they can go to the HSUS Florida Facebook page, or um, that's probably the best way. Okay, cool. And it sounds like from what you said, there's certain bills or legislation that, that are the mm-hmm. focus of this. If someone had an idea or something that they felt like their community or their uh, district needed uh, to attend, could could they promote pr- propose something specific, or is it already dealing with things that are kind of in the works? You could always, you know, bring up different issues, and that's the beauty of it. You start that relationship with your legislator and or their staff, who are very important, and maybe you carry that on after session. Um, the session is already underway, so that the bills being discussed and considered are already already happening. Um, but having new ideas and, and t- flushing them out, and, you know, networking with other animal folks, other animal uh, sheltering professionals is really a, one of the be- one of the great benefits of coming. But also those relationships with your legislator, so that after session, when you're back in the district, you can meet with them and talk to them, invite them to your local shelter, or have a meeting of some kind, whatever. But the, right. Relationship building is so important. That's great. So I guess if people go to the HSUS uh, Florida Facebook Florida. page, they sign up, mm-hmm. and uh, then the the guidance from there uh, you'll you'll provide, and then they can kind of they can get going and do it on the twenty ninth. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Um, and they can, you know, uh, Kate McFall. I'm also, of course, on Facebook, and I will repost.